things that you can use like some of my clients especially the younger ones they'll hold the stress ball and uh, and this one i have stress balls that have beads in them on purpose that also can make a sound so now i'm inadvertently saying too much because i didn't think about this how this story reminded me of when my friend got killed or what all of these different Domati Pongo is a media veteran and innovative storyteller. Music enthusiasts and fans across various genres loud his endearing yet incisive interview style. Domati spearheaded MTV's acclaimed docuseries, True Life Crime, and recently hosted The Exhibit, a series in which seven artists vie for $100,000 and a coveted installation at the Smithsonian's Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden. He has hosted, produced, and contributed to multiple Paramount franchises, including MTV's news former flagship program, Need to Know. For BET's America in Black, Domati walked viewers through the global rise of Afrobeats music and its impact in galvanizing the African diaspora. And for VH1's Lineage to Legacy, Domati guided the cast of love and hip-hop through an exploration of their ancestral lineage culminating in tattoos by the Black Ink crew in a one-of-a-kind two-part special. His cultural commentary has been heard on CNN's Flash Docs, Entertainment Tonight, ET Live, and Sirius XM's Karen Hunter Show, to name a few. I'm so excited to have Domati Pongo, true crime specialist, producer, and an advocate. And we met at a mental health event. That's right. Right. The Mental Wealth Alliance that was put together by Charlemagne and Dr. Alfie, who's a good friend of mine. So I'm so glad that we met. Yes, me too. And thank you for having me. I love a quick turnaround. We <laughs> kicking it on stage and we said, we got to continue this conversation. She said, how about tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> but because there aren't a lot of people of color in true crime, right? You don't That's see right. a lot of black people in true crime. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, as I said, when we met, that was the thing that kind of shocked me because the first thing that I did when I first got the job to host True Life Crime was look at templates. What does this look like? Who's doing it well? You know, what can I do to add my flavor on it? And I didn't find anybody who was on camera or whose platform were, was to a space where I could bump into where they were online. You know, the fact that we are often associated with crime, our communities go through what they go through. And there was a time when we were called super predators and all these different things. Yet the face and the person who's telling these stories doesn't look like us. It just reveals just this remarkable void in, uh, in the space. And so I'm just glad that I could be one of one of hopefully in the future, many voices. And there's several voices in the podcast space, though, when it comes to true crime and people of color. But there should be more. And I always get asked, why did somebody do this? What was the victim thinking? What was the perpetrator thinking? Why did this happen? But I think it's more important to have the people who are organizing this, like the producers, the writers, telling stories that are human, because what happens is that certain demographics don't get accurately represented. And, you know, you might end up in situations where people are being depicted as being like barbaric or primitive. And everybody has a story, right? We're not condoning behavior, but, you know, everyone has trauma. Everyone has a reason for why they became the way that they became, why they, they act the way they act. So I think it's important to have that perspective. Someone who looks like you is telling your story. That's right. And there's so many nuances that get lost in translation when people don't understand the context that a victim might live in or a perpetrator might live in. But that empathy 
exists for white serial killers. They even start calling these different serial killers, oh, the handsome murderer or, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, there's this piece in that 10 part Netflix show where you see these things that happen in his childhood that doesn't excuse what he became, but it helps to explain his maturation. Why would he, why did he grow to be the person that he was? That element is often missing from our stories. It right? is. It's, it it's, is. Or it's very one note. It's very surface level. And they're even like seemingly innocuous, uh, Oversights. Like when I did the first episode of True Life Crime, the pilot was Kanika Jenkins. She was a, a young girl on the south side of Chicago who was found frozen to death in a walk-in freezer at a hotel in Rosemont. And the first question among the producers were like, why were all of these young people in a hotel room? Like, that's weird. You know, there was this whole thing where they were trying to figure out, yeah, so we're going to have a beat where we talk about the hotels. And I was like, y'all never heard of hotel party? <laughs> <laughs> and so apparently, I don't know. Is that a Chicago thing? No, that is very obvious. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> you rent a hotel right. and you party. Yeah. Like, and these are people in high school or right out of high school. You don't have a place to kick it. But that was a story beat because wow. the broader viewer didn't know about that because the producers were like, this for not why were they even there it was such a, i was like wait why we keep asking really? why were they there wow. and so it became this thing that's like how do we exist what is our right to exist what does leisure time and fun look like and even inherent in that question is this subtle suggestion that she is to blame for having been somewhere she wasn't supposed to be, you know, inadvertently. You know, the producers were great. I'm not disparaging them. My guy, Don Sikorsky, the showrunner, that's my brother, but uh, he's a cool guy. That's why you need to have the, that's why you need a host or a producer or someone at the table who can just contextualize what's going on, you know? Yeah. And what struck me about you was you started talking to me about the true crime. And a lot of times what I'll see in this space is that people are talking about it and then they start like disconnecting and they're like, well, this case and that case. But you were like, this one really hit home for me and I was traumatized, you know? And I think that's important too, because if you're not affected by the pain that you see, then how can you accurately represent the people who felt that pain, that's who right. endured that pain? Because you see true crime scenes, you have to like look at images all day. I'm sure that that trauma is real for you. So I wanted us to go through some of the things that you use to ground yourself, to prevent yourself from you know, fully disconnecting, disassociating when you are experiencing that trauma response. Well, thank you for seeing me first, uh, you know, and saying that. And I think one of my fears when I got into this space was losing the ability to feel because it is a trauma response. It is something that you do to protect yourself. And as long as I acknowledge how I'm feeling, I can process and pass through it. Before I did that, before I actually engaged in the practice of naming the feeling or experiencing and allowing myself to feel it, I would tell myself, I'm about to do this interview about this deeply traumatic thing with this parent, and then I'm going to go on my life. I'll be fine. When I sat down with the parent, you start to talk about yourself to build a rapport. You know, you let them know where you're from, et cetera. Before you know it, I'm oversharing because I never acknowledged mm. that this might open a wound or a chasm. So now I'm inadvertently saying too much because I didn't think about this, that how this story reminded me of when my friend got killed or what all of these different things that it brought up. And so now I'm not being efficient and I'm somewhat of an empath. So if I'm not productive in that emotional exchange is not healthy for me. And so I started to notice that in those early episodes, those early interviews, I'm like, oh, you are oversharing. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's great for the guest, but uh, this is not your therapy session, brother. You shoot a TV show. So, you know, it, it helps me to name that, that feeling. But I will admit 
if I'm being completely honest, when we were on the road, because sometimes you're on the road, um, we did two seasons of True Life Crime. You're on the road going from one city to the next. You might shoot three days in one city, go to the next, shoot something. You might go back to that city, pick some things up, et cetera. And you're just kind of going and you have to disassociate at some point to keep yourself and I would have to, okay, this is a time when I'm listening and I'm being a reporter and I'm being a conduit for the viewer. I don't need to be a part of this emotionally in order for it to be effective and for that person to feel seen. So I had to grow into that space to know when to kind of turn that valve on and off to protect myself, but also to make sure that the work was coming off as authentic as possible because I can't be crying in every episode. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. I could if that's what I genuinely feel, but I didn't need to go to that place every single time. So uh, yeah, it's important to have these tools to ground ourselves and figure out how to recenter. Yeah, I was reading about the Black Journalist Fund. Have you heard about that? I haven't. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah yes, yes. That provides mm-hmm. resources for people to go through to therapy, to process some of the pain they're seeing, yes. like in images, mm-hmm. especially during this week for us with the world in the state that it's in. Like we all need to acknowledge how these traumas that aren't happening to us directly affect us, the vicarious trauma, the collective trauma, right? And so I brought these gifts for you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Love for things. We were talking about the five, four, three, two, one grounding technique. Anyone can do this. You know, you could do this before you go to a crime scene, after you process that crime scene, or you know, meeting with families of victims and so forth. But and this is new to me, so thank you for showing me this. I, can well, I should I tell you what my my unofficial thing? Yes, tell that me I first, do? and then I'll tell you. And, about then, and, some and other let me ones. know if they're healthy or not. Yeah, so what yeah. I do after? <laughs> well, you getting a free session, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, you thought I just came here for the podcast? <laughs> yeah, no, my insurance is shaky. I need to do like nah. But uh, no, I would. Uh, before the shows, I always used to pray and make sure I had a moment by myself. Uh, in production, there are a lot of people talking to you. There are a lot of voices and there are a lot of opinions. And you need to be sure whatever it is that you're doing. And so I would ground myself and pray. And before I even decided to take the show, I'd open the Bible and it put me at Proverbs uh, 31, verse 8 to 9. And it, that was what my reason for doing the show was because I was scared about being another voyeur in the true crime space. So I always pray just to center myself and to be still and remind myself why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I would just breathe in and out and through my nose, out through my mouth, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, however many, however long I need. And that was it. I really didn't do much beyond that. And then after the show, I would intentionally sit with my feelings for a second. This is after like episode five when I said I need a method because I started to see my interpersonal relationships change because I'd never had a come down period. So after the show, I would sit with myself for 30 minutes, turn my phone off, and then I would watch something asinine and stupid. (laughs) Turn my brain, South Park, whatever. I would read a book. I would do something totally different Mm -hmm. from what I what what the crime was, and then I get back into it. So I never had a formal process and method. So I would love to add this to my process. Which proverb is that? My dad is a pastor. Ah, okay, so okay. I'm ashamed to say that I don't know what, that one by heart. <laughs> You're going to know it as soon as I say it. So okay. Proverbs 31 is, is where it talks about the virtuous wife, actually. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's the popular scripture where it says, you know, all of the virtues that a virtuous woman uh, should have. But in 8 and 9, it says, open your mouth for the cause of the poor and needy. Plead uh for all of those basically open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves mm-hmm. plead the cause of the poor and needy those who are in need of justice something to that effect pardon me if i don't remember it exactly but when i saw it i said okay i have a platform and i have a voice 
and it matters and are people who are in need of whether it's justice or in the cases that are already adjudicated is just to be heard, their story to be heard, to feel seen. That's what, okay, as long as I recenter and know that that's why I'm here, I'm good. I'm doing my thing. And and that that was kind of my North Star. Well, you should be proud to know that everything that you did is cognitive grounding, right? So mm-hmm. the proverb, you know, is a mantra. So you are the voice for those who don't no longer have a voice or those who don't have that power that you have because you have a platform, right? And prayer is your way of staying connected to a higher power when you don't feel as if you are in control, right, of the situation. And then the mindless kind of like, oh, fun TV. I'm guilty of it too. Mine is celeb celebrity news. I love it. But that disconnects you cognitively from what you were focused on, right? So you did a lot of cognitive or, you know, the upper level, the higher, you know, uh, intellectual uh, grounding. But what a lot of people miss out because they don't realize it or they were just never taught it or they're not aware of it is that a lot of the trauma is in the body. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the um, book, the, the Body Keeps the Score. No, I haven't. It's a great book, but it talks about trauma and your body holds on to what you see. So even if up here from the neck up, even if you process it and you think that you got it, your body holds on. So we have to really retrain our bodies to self-regulate so that that fight or flight goes down so that we can get through our days. So I brought you some gifts. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'll take all the things. And, and also I have this form for you. It's called a five, four, three, two, one grounding exercise. So anyone can do this, right? So five is look at five things in your surrounding. It could be, it could be this golden, um, this, the gold sparkle painting here. It could be name something you see in the surrounding. Oh, I see a sparkle painting. Is this motif? This mixed media. (laughs) Got some dimension to it. Home Depot. We got (laughs) we got plants. We got Mario Badescu. I love a good facial toner. Okay, Uh, and we have tea. Is that five things? Microphones, cameras, and the key is to try to be as uh, descriptive as possible, right? So you could do that. Four is pay attention to your body. So what you're feeling. So describe something that you're feeling physically right now. This is the sense of touch. Okay, on my way over here. I rolled my ankle, so I'm feeling that <laughs> in my left ankle. <laughs> but try, so maybe maybe the tea in front of you, like how does it feel in your hand? Feels warm in my hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, cup is smooth. What else should I think about? Um, yeah, the cup is smooth. It's warm. It's warm. Uh, the cup is smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, what about on your like your clothing? Uh, what feel, do you feel? I feel warm right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Where do you feel your clothing? I feel the flatness all mm-hmm. over, Dr. Mm-hmm. Judith. I feel the flesh. <laughs> the flesh is all over. <laughs> so those are the four things that you feel. Yes. Um, and then try to listen for sound. So we're in a safe right now, right? So, um, you know, if this were another setting, maybe if you were like, you could, you hear that? Yes. Um, you know. ASMR going. I don't know what they can do. <laughs> Right. (laughs) For some people, it could be like a noise machine that has the sound of the ocean or anything in your surroundings that you hear. Like if you heard my nails just tapping like Hmm. that, you know, like so you pay attention to that. You're listening. That is something I did learn when I began to get into meditation where you would be. Oftentimes people meditate, they're scared that they're going to get distracted. And what you learn is you allow the thoughts to come and let it pass. The things that you hear, Mm -hmm. allow yourself to hear them and then let them go. So I... But I didn't know. So what are the benefits of these things in terms of feeling the senses? Is it that we 
see and perceive things, but we're not taking them in. So two would be like the smell. So okay. like we have candles here. I have this Mario Badescu. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you smell there? <laughs> smell cucumber. Yes. <laughs> There's some like green tea and aloe in there, but I would have to literally spray it on your face for that. I don't do that. But then taste, right? And you have the tea there. Go ahead and taste that. What do you taste? And now it tastes like Mario Badescu. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be. It's green tea, but it's yeah. Badescu. It hey, like it's green in tea, here, you know? So you know, like, so what happens is when you're traumatized, people experience. It's called depersonalization, where they sometimes feel as if they're not connected to their body. Hmm. So some people will say that they feel like they're detached from their bodies. Oh, wow. And then also derealization, where they feel detached from their surroundings. So this grounding allows you to stay present in the moment. And it's really, really hard to do that cognitive grounding if your body is out of control, if you're physically dysregulated. And these are simple things that you can use. Like some of my clients, especially the younger ones, they'll hold the stress ball. And uh, and this one, I have stress balls that have beads in them on purpose that also can make a sound and that are a little sticky so that they can like really start grounding themselves, describe what they're feeling, seeing, hearing. I don't advise tasting these, but... (laughs) And then and children who have... um, uh, like ADHD as well as trauma, they sometimes need something a bit more dynamic. Okay. But like listening to that, looking at the colors, describing how it feels, you notice that this one has like like the poppets on it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, things like that. And then ice. Okay. So like what I would ask you to do is take a piece of this ice in your hand. Okay. And then really pay attention to how it feels. I mean, you know, you describe it. And things like that, like putting um, cold water in your hands, allows you to stay grounded and present. Okay. So you're bringing yourself into the present because when you experience trauma or trauma reactions, you sometimes get detached from your body and from your situation. Mm. Is that out-of-body experience something? Have you ever been, because you speak as well at a lot of events, have you ever spoken or been on the stage and felt like you were watching yourself do what you're doing? A hundred percent. I just gave a talk yesterday and I wasn't aware of how anxious I was and my throat started closing up and I was like, what's going on? And I was like, wait, I got to ground myself. So one of the things I do... And this talk is going to be on social media, but you'll see me go on like this because uh-huh. I had to do something physical uh-huh. to keep myself present in the moment because my throat was literally closing up and I was like getting dizzy. But this is how our bodies tell us. Tell us how we feel. Yes. That's so interesting because I was looking at, I noticed a tick that I need to stop doing. I was looking at a panel I did recently and I was rubbing my knee. And I was like, I was just rubbing my knee a lot. You're grounding. And I didn't even realize it. And I just looked, I was like, well, that looks annoying and distracting. <laughs> but if you don't tell yourself, oh, you are anxious or you're excited or you're nervous, because I never feel nerves when I perform at all. But I have little things that I do that I'm like, oh, I'm drinking a lot of water. I'm probably anxious about this. Mm-hmm. Let me feel that feeling. And then let it pass. So just embrace it. So yeah, okay. So that's why I, that's why I rub the knee. That's, that's why you the, do it. And okay. if you want to try something different next time, if you feel because you are probably a perfectionist and you look at things and you're like, why did that happen? But you could ground your feet, plant them on the floor, plant your hands on your lap, and you're literally saying, I'm grounding myself. I am here. You know, mm. I am the voice for the for those who are 
powerless. You know, I am their advocate and I am here. You know, how much I owe you now? What's that? How much do I owe you now? <laughs> <laughs> how much is this session? Is this a, a clear exchange? You know, all right, man, got you. All right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But you know what? What you do is so important. And I, I do research on high functioning depression. So people at times just like go through life, you know, being rock stars, doing all these great things. And sometimes when they're at their peak, that's when they're really struggling. But to the rest of the world, they're they're doing everything right. So I always ask my guests, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but um, a time when you were like literally at your peak, everyone was like, you're a rock star, you're doing this, you're doing that. But inside you were struggling, you know, and how did you get through that? Mm, I've been there before. I've been there before. Thankfully, I'm not, I'm not in that place. But comes and goes, it happens. Uh, one of the biggest times was when I first got this, job at, uh, at at Paramount. And I was moving from Chicago to New York and I was in a relationship and it put a strain on the relationship. And it was this weird time where I felt like, okay, I'm supposed to be happy, but I feel like I'm letting down my partner. What if I can't perform the way I want to perform? All of these things are happening so quickly. How do I, how am I supposed to do that? And will I like New York? Should I just take this opportunity? Cause it came all of these different questions, but you know, when you're on camera, you can't ever, you can't show a chink in the armor if that's not what you're supposed to. If you're, if you're supposed to be confident, assured, and you're supposed to deliver the news and they're supposed to trust you, you need to be that. So I never got to feel that emotion, but I was doing a lot. And even as I was fielding congratulations, I start to take even congratulations with a grain of salt, right? Because there were successes that meant a lot to me that weren't as visible to even the people that were closest to me. So it felt like if you don't see my success, does it not matter? And in this world of social media, everything is about what folks can see. So that that was a time when I felt like I was supposed to be here, but I really was feeling just, you know, just there, you know? Yeah. And so uh, how I got out of it, um, I don't even know if I have a clear answer for how I got out of it, mm -hmm. to be completely honest. Um, if I if hindsight is twenty twenty, the big thing for me was ad admitting to myself. It, I keep coming back to it, but admitting to myself that I have a feeling. I think, particularly as men, we feel that we have to show strength mm -hmm. um, in high uh, demanding jobs or highly visible jobs or, or anything that you're doing that the stakes are high. Admitting fear and letting it seep into yourself, you, you're afraid that it might reflecting the work. So I just would keep myself busy to not deal with that emotion. Mm. And that allowed me to perform and produce. But I got out of that once I admitted to myself, you're not feeling good right now, bro. You're just not feeling good. And uh, I would write. As long as I admitted that to myself, I usually felt like that was okay because I would just forgive myself. Like, oh, okay, that's okay. That's why That's why you got stuck when you were trying to write that story. That's why yeah. you, know, you reacted that way in that argument or that conflict. But yeah, I don't know if that answers the no, question. No, it absolutely does because the human brain is afraid of the unknown. Mm -hmm. So if we don't know how we feel, it's likened to being in a safe like this, <laughs> that the lights are off and there's something there bothering us. We can't see it. So we start swinging, right? But if the lights were on and we saw what we were working with, we would be more calm. So naming the feeling, it sounds all granola and hippie, but it's so important and not everyone does it, especially men. Right. So I think you do have to name the feeling or you can't do anything about it. That's right. That's right. Um, where can we find your work and what you're doing? 
Oh, you can go to domati.net, D-O-M-E-T-I.net. But I I don't just do true crime. Um, The great thing that, I guess another thing that helps is my projects are diverse enough to where I might be doing a a hard news story. I actually haven't produced for True Life Crime in a while. Uh, It's on Paramount Plus right now and Amazon Prime. (laughs) Uh, You can check that out. but also do red carpets. So I do all of the red carpets for the Video Music Awards, uh, the Grammys, um, the Movie and TV Awards over at MTV. Uh, and I'm working on a documentary. Well, not really a documentary. Let's call it a miniseries right now about MTV's uh, relationship with hip hop. And so the role that platforms like MTV, Yo! MTV Raps and MTV News played in the careers of some of hip hop's elites. And so uh, it's my first project. I'm EPing at Paramount. So I'm really excited for that. It's coming out in November. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you you for being in the safe space.